DJ Simulationistas. So, with Dr. D, Dan Raymer, and Dr. J, Janice Palaganis, coming at you from the Center for Medical Simulation in Boston, Massachusetts. So buckle up your mannequin, and let's roll. Welcome to DJ Simulationistas. You're here with Janice Palaganis. Unfortunately, Dan, unfortunately for me, fortunate for Dan, he is on vacation in his more than halftime retirement in Yosemite. Um, And I am very excited to have a guest on our uh, podcast today, my dear friend and mentor, Vinay Nadkarni. How are you doing, Vinay? Hi, Janice. Wish I was out in Yosemite with Dan. (laughs) Thanks so much for doing this impromptu session with me. Um, I need to brag about you for a little bit first because I want our listeners to know exactly who you are because you're amazing to me. (laughs) I'm going to close my ears. (laughs) So Vinay Nadkarni is a professor and endowed chair at CHOP. Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Departments of Anesthesiology, Critical Care, and Pediatrics, correct? Just correct me if I'm wrong. Um, And the the School of Medicine, which wasn't Perelman when I first, when I was over there, and is now Perelman School of Medicine, correct? Yeah, they paid a lot of of money to put their name on on the med school. (laughs) <laughs> I bet. V and I founded and directs the CHOP Center for Simulation, um, Advanced Education Innovation. And when I first started doing Insight 2, you guys were like ahead of the curve. So I constantly, in all of my teaching, refer people to CHOP because I just think what you guys do in Insight 2 in general is just really really cool and awesome. So, Vina, I have to say a little bit more about you because you're kind of amazing and <laughs> people need to know how uh, cool it is that you're on this podcast right now. Um, when I think of you, Vina, I think of the American Heart Association because you've done just so much with AHA and ILCOR as well. International, What does ILCOR stand for? International Liaison Committee on Resuscitation. Is that right? That's it. That's it. You founded the the registry of CPR. Yeah, we made a we did a national registry of CPR called Get with the Guidelines Resuscitation now. Yeah, and I think what's really cool is Inspire. Didn't Inspire come from that? Well, it's it's similar. We we thought about um, creating registries and collaborate essentially collaboratories and that sort of evolved into well, we have them for real resuscitation. Now we need one for simulated resuscitations and so a core group of us kind of got together and said let's let's form sort of a research collaboratory where we can start to gestate um, ideas for simulation and simulation research uh, using resuscitation as its base. So I love the word gestate because you guys have given birth to like I mean, Inspire is such a a great model network of success. I mean, just the people you have together, the activities that you've 
put together the research and the publications is just has been huge to simulation. So thank you for starting that. It's, it's been amazing. With all of that said, Vee and I, uh, that's actually not why I have you on this podcast. I am really interested. So you started to tell me about Italy because you just got back from Italy. And, um, and I had to stop you from telling me the rest because I thought it was so cool that you should just kind of tell the world of simulation on this podcast. So tell me a little bit about what you did in Italy because I think it's so cool and I'll, I'll pick your brain more to give us kind of a fuller picture of, of what you were doing over there. Well, Janice, let me, so I was, I'm really excited about it. Um, in a way that I'm kind of surprised about because I wasn't expecting it to be as good as it was. It's an example, I think, of gamification of training. Uh-huh. Um, and basically, if you want to think about it, it's basically take Italy and think about Olympic training towards like having a national champion that would then compete <laughs> in the Olympics. Well, um, sort of going back, uh, for a long time, we've participated in like boot camps and training camps and sort of very collegial, um, if you will, sort of formative, non-evaluatory kind of, um, of training amongst institutions that are bunched up into weekends of sort of intense uh, collaboration and competition. Uh-huh. But um, in Italy, what they've done, um, the Sapienza University and Riccardo Lebrano is the is sort of the lead for this, a pediatric emergency medicine doc. He wanted to create uh, simors or kind of like a, a competitive environment where he would challenge each of the hospitals and training centers in Italy, like all across Italy, all across the country to create teams that would practice the 12 PAL scenarios. So he had standardized scenarios that they were supposed to learn during their residency. And along with a faculty mentor at each of the places, they would practice and rehearse in teams these 12 until they could do them like snapping their fingers. And then he invited them to Rome, to a, to a little location outside of Rome, where they would spend a week competing against each other. <laughs> That's amazing. Wait, so they have they have like a year to prepare? What five months. Have? Okay, five, five months. months to prepare. And then they they do the same scenarios, but do they do all the different versions of outcomes of that scenario well, or had, that case? They had to, so they knew that they, they, so the content that they had to learn. So, uh-huh. you know, let's take um, pulseless electrical activity, cardiac arrest, in a six-year-old child. Okay, all of them knew, had that scenario and knew the algorithm, right? It was a standard ERC or American Heart Association algorithm. So they knew the important interventions. And so they would first just train on, you know, basic, I can just run the algorithm and I can get, you know, the airway person to do the airway job and the chest compressors and the shocks and the drugs, etc. And then they had to rehearse perturbations of that so that they could pretend that it was an infant, or they could say, well, maybe um, they had to switch positions, or maybe there was no backboard in the room, or no step stool, or how would they respond to that? Because they knew that they were going to get challenged in the Olympics, right? It wasn't just swimming the 50 yards. It was like, now it's going to be more like a real hospital environment, 
where you're not quite sure what you're going to encounter. And so when they came in to this, it's called Latina, it's about uh, 90 miles outside of Rome, which is a small city of about 120,000 people with a big old high school in the middle of it that was essentially cleared out for the week, they, we could use those classrooms to set up the simulators. So we had four different houses. So what they did was they, for five months leading up to this, they all trained at their own institutions. They uh, email and social media sort of uh, dissed on each other. And they would like... <laughs> I saw that. You sent me the website. It's cute. They have, like, all these videos and stuff. They, they would make, like, coats of arms, and they would make T-shirts, and they would sort of, uh, you know, say, you know, what, how well they were doing or how poorly they were doing, what their talents were. But they basically trained in situ at their own sites uh, until they got a winning team. And, and many of them made several teams within their institution and competed within their institution to be – the selected team that would then go to oh, Rome. So they had competitions within. Yeah. Oh, this, it was really, like, this is like U.S. football in simulation. Exactly. <laughs> like fantasy, like fantasy football. <laughs> fantasy <yeah>. football. <laughs> I wonder if they, did anybody have money riding on this? This is like amazing. No, I don't think so. But there, I'm sure there were a few beers that were probably bet on the winners. But, but it so was mostly. I, I, let me just tell our listeners the, the website you sent me. It, it's www.pediatricsimulationgames.it. Yeah, the IT is for Italy. For Italy, right. yeah. yeah. And, oh, wow. This is like a huge thing. It's huge. So it became kind of this spirited, good-natured competition locally. Uh -huh. And then when they actually came to Latina, they split them. They had um, organized it so they were split into sort of four heats of eight teams each, 32 teams total. The teams self-funded themselves to come. So their own hospital or institution sponsored them to travel to Rome and then to um, house them for that week, you know, in a cheap, in a cheap spot. Um, but they all then camped they, at the high school. Exactly. <laughs> in, in little bed and breakfast Airbnbs. Um, but essentially what happened was they split them into houses like um, Gryffindor. They essentially made them into Harry Potter kind of, um, you know, essentially little sections. Uh -huh. And they competed within their section to... Um, on the same scenarios of increasing difficulty. So there were international, now there were international judges, so Monica Kleinman from Boston Children's, Alan um, DeCon from Edmonton, Mark Berg from Stanford, and myself from CHOP, all went there as sort of international, if you will, judges, you know, facilitators. And then the local teams were competing on how well they could do and the team performed and how well was the medicine done how well was the teamwork done and then you know did they have that resilience that separated them from the other teams and it was a round robin to achieve a winner in each division who then went on into the semifinals and finals etc and essentially created a winner but the scenarios got more like they were all so good they could all do the basic stuff so we had to throw in things like well, all of a sudden, two of the team members are called to resuscitate ah. a parent who's fallen on the ground with a seizure or whose child has fainted. And so they then had to readjust the team and see how they could compensate. 
and those kinds of things. So it was really quite interesting, and they were amazing, amazingly competent for their level of training. They really had, you could see that the training they had done locally and then how they learned during that week of competition really was reflected in the quality of the resuscitation that they could perform. I mean, truthfully, by the end of the week, these residents could resuscitate as well or better than many of our critical care fellows in the United States. Wow. In fact, one of the rounds was done with a team leader completely blindfolded. Oh, so okay. So that's what I was going to ask you. So, like, yeah. how did you increase the complexity? So you did have embedded simulated family that went in, yes. and, and did you have providers as well? Yes, we had, We had. you know, whatever you want to call them, confederate Confederates, I know, is sort of embedded an out term, right? Yeah. <laughs> embedded actors. Embedded actors. Embedded and we had some some scripted um, perturbations that made it complex. Uh, we had family members who were angry. We had um, phone calls from their family to tell them that their children were sick at daycare and they had to come pick them up right now while they were resuscitating so that they had to balance a lot of the challenges that we face every day. Mm-hmm. Um with, you know, practicing and rehearsing how they would actually respond and what they what they could do. So it's really very interesting. But the amazing thing really was, and here's what I was worried about, with the gamification and the competition, I was really worried that, you know, there would be one winner and everybody else would go away defeated and feel bad. And But it was amazing over the week, the camaraderie, the support, I will say that we did take a little break from the competition and we split up the teams. So, in other words, you had trained with your team from your institution and that's how you were competing. But then we had a round where we just counted off and you had to perform with people from other teams that you had never met before. Yeah. But who had a similar level of training. So that's along the lines of what Haru... Okudo does yes. with um, with SimWars looking at mixed teams and teams that yes. know each other. I don't know what the final outcome was. What was the outcome with, with what you did? Well, the outcome was surprisingly good in that um, these teams, one, they enjoyed it tremendously, being able to work with their competitors, you know, their friends and competitors. But two, they found that a lot of the specialized communication that they did and this was really a lot came out in the debriefings of these um, of these scenarios was that um, they felt really comfortable in their role they had trained for within their team. But when they moved into the uh, into the mixed teams, mm-hmm. uh, the ad hoc, if you will, they were surprised how well they performed, having not sort of known the communication styles of the other people, that there was enough commonality and what they were doing that they could go into a role and they could quickly kind of adopt the style of the leader mm-hmm. and they were they surprised themselves at how smoothly and well the resuscitations went the same was true with the blindfolding they were they were sure they weren't going to be able to run a code blindfolded <laughs> but they were astounded that they actually performed the time critical interventions faster in the blindfolded scenario than they did when not blindfolded. 
Yeah. It is fascinating. Oh, yeah. Blindfolds are all, always interesting to add in. I know when we do it, people either hate it or love it. <laughs> One quick question, and then I want to ask you a, a question about gamification. Could you tell who the underdogs were and who, like, which teams were going to be in that final round? Uh, we initially could identify strong teams, um, but we were actually surprised at the winner. And at uh-huh. the, um, and it was interesting, the teams that came in very strong, several of them, in fact, many of them started out fast and were very efficient. But when we started throwing things that were different from what they had planned on, the sort of the perturbations in, they didn't handle them so well. They had really rehearsed uh, like a Formula One racing team, you know, like everybody's got their job and it's all timed and they know exactly what they're doing. They did that very well. But when something came up that was unexpected, they had more difficulty adjusting to it than some of the less skilled teams that were communicating better. And those better communicating teams that were a little more resilient in some ways ended up by the end of the week surpassing those teams that came in highly rehearsed, highly specialized, highly focused on exactly what the PAL scenario algorithms were. So interesting. So um, when you say you could tell which teams were strong, can you give a a little description as to what allowed you to think that they were strong? There was a difference, it seemed to me, and this is my opinion, this is my observation, Uh was that there was a difference. You could pretty quickly tell which of the team leaders was cognitively strong, like knew Uh a lot, was very confident, knew the content, because they, you know, it was clear that it was like, okay, this is PEA, you do, and they could just rattle off, you know, here are the five H's and the five P's, you know, boom, 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 Uh boom, boom, boom. Uh, We could see very easily who was um, cognitively prepared. But you could also um, see pretty quickly which of the team leaders was looking, listening, and feeling the tenor of the situation and adjusting and titrating how they were leading the team to how the team and the patient was responding. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was probably relatively subtle, but you could see those that sort of naturally positioned or supported or put their hand on the shoulder of somebody who was struggling or sort of showed them what to do instead of just told them to push harder or, you know, faster or whatever. Um, so there were there were qualities of the team leader or the coach that you could see over the week evolve and get stronger or start out strong. Um, and you could also see who were just pretty rigid and it, it's like it's almost like you're you're attempting to articulate being aware and being present in that. You know, and it's it's yeah. more than just the knowledge. It's also an, a, a team awareness. And yeah. the other the other thing that I'm interested in is so you're saying these teams that surprised you in the end that were able to handle um, some additional complexities that were kind of added into on top of the algorithm management. 
which I'm going to just, for the sake of conversation, call it like team dexterity. What do you think allowed them to quickly flex and be able to deal with complications? So some of it, frankly, I think was the ability to suspend the anxiety over the summative evaluation. You know, some of the problem of this is that, you know, gee, you're performing in front of an international expert, you know, (laughs) and and so. Yeah, it's nerve wracking. Yeah, it's nerve wracking. And some of that, some of that was um, allowing themselves, they actually allowed themselves to make a decision and um, expect that it might not be the exactly right uh, decision, but that they would have the confidence to recognize that and then to adjust it. Initially, they were, pro- they were afraid that if they didn't exactly follow the algorithm on the paper, that that's what they were being scored on. And I think what they discovered over time was that w- what was really valued or what was really being scored was their ability to um, know what was on the algorithm and then to decide if it was the appropriate treatment for that particular patient, which is real life. Like it, it wasn't a test. It wasn't a PALS or a, a, an ACLS test. It was more a, a real life kind of situation where you apply the algorithm, but you adjust it based on the feedback you get from the patient and the team, etc. So that sometimes you do unusual things or you deviate from a clinical pathway for a given patient because of a special resuscitation circumstance. And um, I think it was the teams that during the early debriefings discovered that the debriefings were not plus delta, you did this wrong, you did this right, you know, do the algorithm, but more about how the team would evaluate and adjust to what was needed and how to get it done. Um, And that, I think, helped certain teams evolved to the point where they really functioned at a very high level. So cool. So this is all just mind-blowing to me because having been a judge in Sim Wars at the International Meeting for Simulation Healthcare, I always wondered, like the thing that that I've always asked myself when it came to these types of, of gamification of learning is, um, you know, what is the benefit and what is the opportunity loss? Um, the first, you know, I see, at least in my kids when they're playing games, the way they learn through gamification is amazing. And so I've, you know, I've got part of myself thinking, oh, this is really great. They can definitely learn and it's a fun way to learn. And then just in our experience um, at the Center for Medical Simulation, when uh, psychological safety is at risk, and you don't have very, very deep debriefing sessions. The learning is pretty superficial. What are your thoughts on I, I I agree with you completely, Janice. I have avoided being a judge at Simmores. I've turned down a lot of opportunities <laughs> to, to be a judge because I had exactly the same feelings. This was a little different in that uh, knowing some of the people who were who were setting it up and having this long run-in period, I think the aspect of the pre-training and kind of preparing the individuals was felt better. It felt like this was just one step or one part of the process. It wasn't the entire learning 
um, event, if you will, and that this was something that they wanted to do. It was clear that they were having fun and that they, they had volunteered and had practiced hard and they simply wanted to do it. And we spent, we did spend a lot of time reinforcing that, that they were all winners, that, that this was all part of the learning process and that there was, although we were giving awards, we, it wasn't, it wasn't um, meant to denigrate the learning or the skill level of any of the teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of true in the Olympics also that, you know, you, you have to admit that every Olympic, you know, Olympian is an amazing athlete and, you know, in, in other circumstances would just stand out above and beyond everybody else. Mm-hmm. But in the environment of the Olympic competition, there are winners and losers and they enjoy that. They, they really want to compete to kind of find out what Where it is they that they stand. have to work on. Yeah. yeah so so cool. it was, it was, it was interesting, but I, I was surprised and I, I was, um, I was myself surprised because I think like you, I had up until now really felt like it was maybe bringing out the wrong qualities and giving the wrong impression, partly because I still don't believe that simulation, that our technology or our ability to do summative evaluations is super realistic, that some of the features on the mannequins, et cetera, are not realistic. They don't feel real. They don't look real. They aren't real. And so that surrogate kind of evaluation still makes me a little bit hesitant to rely too much on it. Yeah. Well, you know, the, what's, what I find interesting about this is perhaps the entire gamification, like knowing that, that you are doing this as kind of a fun and you're, you are going to be judged and it's not individual learning being assessed that, um, that is even higher psychological safety than the simulations that we run in mm. in our own, you know, centers, and and therefore the learning is fun, and they they are learning, and there's a lot of modeling. There's so much to be done about modeling. I don't think we do enough of it, where they they can learn from each other, because like you said, you can see who the strong teams are, and for yourself, know what strength looks like. And, and once you see that in action, you can find ways to um, foster it within yourself or your own team. Janice, there was one other thing I wanted to mention was that um, the way this was structured um, was a little bit kind of like safety one and safety two, um, Ah, where, uh where we weren't only looking for the deficits, but we were also debriefing and making sure that, uh, about half of the debriefing or more was spent on what went well and why it went well. And right. so um, the setup in this, so there were team, there were eight teams competing in a given house, if you will, right? Um, two of the teams were head-to-head in any heat on the same scenario. So those two teams went out of the debriefing room, uh, and they were sort of isolated until they competed. The other six teams were all watching these two teams, and during the debriefing, they were watching, and they were asked to uh, identify during the scenario what the team did well. And the first comment during the debriefing was taken from that group that was watching on, on the video remotely, was taking from them, tell us one thing that you observed that went well and why uh-huh. this team did so well. And that's how each debriefing started. 
And then the participants would then um, uh, amplify on that and identify other things that went well and why they went well. And then we would move more towards the plus delta where we would try to identify things that they were had questions about or were concerned about or would have done differently. Um, but that helped, I think, all of the teams to, one, participate when they were not actually, you know, on the spot, and two, to develop a culture where they were trying to evaluate why things were working well and why they could be and how they could be improved. And that was an important wow. difference from some of the sim wars where yeah. it sort of turns into just like, well, what didn't we do well and, you know, well, it's like built-in reflective practice and culture change through peer feedback. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. it was really it was really neat. The, the debriefings were not long enough to really do sort of the advocacy inquiry kind of approach, but mm-hmm. it did at least incorporate some of the, you know, sort of the reflection on the positive as well as reflection on the negative. And getting, I mean, I'm guessing you probably did do the advocacy inquiry approach by getting at their frames. Like yeah, we certain things that they did. Uh, we did try to. I think because of the nature of the evaluation, uh-huh. they they were more interested in what the facilitator or the evaluator thought, um, and it was a little hard to get them to really reflect and just relax and get to what they wanted to talk about and, and what was behind their actions. That's a, that's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. <laughs> so what did it well, feel like to be a judge? Well, we, we ended up pushing back and saying, you know, this was not like we, you know, there is an evaluation portion to this, but the debriefing is not for that purpose. Uh-huh. That the debriefing was to improve and to learn and to figure out why things worked when they didn't. So we tried to really hold back on... Obviously, if there was something major that was missed or an error was made, we didn't shy away from that, and we would talk about that. And we would say, you know, I recognize that you gave amiodarone, and the patient was not in a shockable rhythm, and, you know, so I'm, I'm wondering how you got to that point of deciding to give amiodarone. But, um, but for the most part, this was so new. The, the concept of getting to the second frame for this group was really foreign. I mean, it wasn't just a foreign language, Italian. Right. <laughs> this society is pretty much about you did it wrong. This is the way you do it. Uh-huh. Fix it. You know, so uh-huh. it was kind of um, a new cultural approach to try to get to the frame and thinking about the why uh-huh. as opposed to just the what. Got it. Well, but, you know, so, I think your expert opinion um, and teachings also has a role. Did they give you a venue to be able to give that kind of specific feedback? Uh, they did. And, and actually, we ended up doing that in sort of themes. So we would have uh, periodic collections of the all the teams into the central hall. Uh, okay. And that was sort of before and after each of the, you know, the breakout events. And then we would summarize for them the common errors and the common, you know, sort of uh, facilitators that things were, what facilitated things going well, what we were observing. So it wasn't, most of that directed feedback was a group feedback. And then there were occasional, um, so each of these teams had their own coach from their own facility, right? 
So we would feed back to the coach some of the issues like, hey, your team leader is really, really smart and really, really dominant, but they're not really listening to the rest of the team when something's going on that they don't expect. And so then that coach would take that back to the team and work with them to do it. And the reason we did it that way was we also wanted this coach who's going to be with these guys for two more years in their residency, if they could start, um, it was helping them, empowering them to kind of, we felt like it would reinforce their position when they went back to their home institution to be able to sustain this after the sim games, the Olympics. It's amazing. So I can talk forever about this. I've got one more question because I am aware of time. You know, as I thought about gamification of learning, um, and I thought of kids, and I thought of, you know, the participants that we have at CMS, and and I, I, I've often asked myself, well, is there an appropriateness to culture and generation? And and from hearing what you're saying, I'm I'm actually thinking about it as, I'm not sure that there is a, I think that many, many cultures would value this. I would, I would, you know, put a risk in saying that I think it could apply in any culture. I think everyone could have fun doing this. Of course, there would have to be tweaks based on, on the culture. Yes. And maybe it's not generational. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I kind of agree with you, um, but I do think that there has to be a lot of attention paid to how it's done. Um, and, and, uh, I will say that I I think if this had, if this was done in a different manner where really was evaluative and, you know, it was sort of like, no, you did it wrong. This is how you should do it, Mm -hmm. you know, and publicly posting. We did not publicly post head to head results. We gave overall results. So of the heat, so-and-so finished in first and second place. But we didn't say who finished in last place, which of the teams didn't win any of their matches, et cetera. It wasn't quite that public. Yeah. And, and um, so I think if I agree with you that the concept of gamification could amplify the learning um, when done well, but I do still think there's the risk that it could harm learning if it wasn't done well. So I think it could apply to every culture. Because I think that competitive spirit and the joy of competition and those team kinds of building. things. Are, yeah, team building. I think those are all things that are relatively universal. It's kind of like, you know, religion or, you know, right, that, right. That, that it exists and people use it as a way to come together and to learn things and to understand things. But I also feel like if it's done in a very rigid or... um that, that it does still have risk of harm. And so um, I don't think it's a, it should be universally applied, but it should be selectively applied with thought. Awesome. Well, thank you, Vinay, and, and kudos to the pediatric simulation games in Italy. Um, if anybody's looking to do any kind of gamification of simulation, make sure you talk with this group because it sounds like they did it well and lots of considerations. Um, thanks for sharing, v Great. And they're going to do it again next year. So there really, <laughs> there really might be an Olympics where a bunch of countries end up doing this and then, they're, then they compete internationally. Awesome. You never know. DJ Simulationistas. 
What's up? is brought to you by the Center for Medical Simulation. Find out more about CMS and learn about our simulation instructor training and course offerings at www.harvardmedsim.org. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.